I know we have a steep learning curve when it comes to pecan trees, but I think we're ready to take the plunge. Welcome to Longleaf Breeze, subsistence farmers using three simple principles, approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's got to be fun while we're doing it, and we don't make all misstatements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thanks, Adrian. Welcome to our podcast of August the 8th, 2013, the second of two this year in which we talk about pecans. And we apologize for seeming to dwell on pecans, but that's a big deal for us this year, so we're telling you more about it, uh, specifically growing out of our um, chance to be at the Pecan Short Tour in Fairhope on Tuesday. It was just a really well-run program. It really was. It was the better part of a morning, but time well spent. They had it planned, Dr. Bill Goff, is their foremost expert, and he certainly was, uh, he amazed me with how much just off the top of his head he could cite studies and who did them and when and what the findings were. He was very specific. He was assisted by Brian Wilkins, who also gave a lot of good information um, about the trials um, at the um, Gulf Coast Research and Extension Center um, owned by Auburn University, and that's right there in Fairhope. So um, we, well, I guess you'd say it's down, it's not downtown Fairhope, but it's there in Baldwin County. So um, we learned a lot, and we also made a side trip right after the workshop was over to visit the farm of Gary Underwood, and we bought 12 pecan trees from him. And had a delightful visit with him as well. Perhaps at the outset, we should talk a little bit about how you say this word, (laughs) P-E-C-A-N. Yes. We've grown up calling them pecans, and so we do. But it was interesting to us to hear the many variations on the pronunciation, even among seasoned pecan growers in the southeast. Well, Georgia, I I heard more, some some people from Georgia saying pecan. Um, But, you know, I grew up in Montgomery, so did you, and... My grandmother, who was from Troy, China Grove to be exact, always called them pecans. And my mom, therefore, always called them pecans. And uh, that's our pronunciation. But you're right. There are many variations. Pecan, pecan. Maybe you've heard and others. Pecan, uh, pecan. So, yeah. so we're not you, saying you which one. You take your choice. Exactly. Yeah. We're not claiming. We won't think less of you if you like right. a different way of saying it. But we're most we're both accustomed to calling the pecans, so we do. So let us tell you a little bit about what we're planning to do. Um, those of you who remember the last podcast about this, uh, this essential plan has not changed much. We plan to locate twelve trees in one long line to the west and to the south of Veg Hill. Why so close to Veg Hill? Because that's where the water is. Um, there, were, there are certainly other places on the property where we could choose to grow pecans, but we know how important water is, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. And so we decided, let's do it right here beside Veg Hill, where That's we already right. have some water this available. This is the easiest and the least expensive way to do it. Exactly. Yes, we could set, put a whole new drip irrigation system on the other side of the property if we needed to. 
But and, that would run into some money. And our one of our principles is we try to keep everything growing as close to our home as possible so we can keep a sharp eye on it. And we don't see any exception for pecans. We'd like to be able to look out the window and see how our pecan trees are doing right. just like we look at everything else. So uh, that's another advantage to us in that location. We're planning to plant three trees each of four different varieties. The four varieties are Excel, Eclipse, Macmillan, and Gafford. Uh, those are all four known for their resistance to scab. And scab is the plague on pecans in the southeast. It's a fungus that thrives in moist environments and can just destroy the effectiveness of a pecan tree. That's right. And it's interesting because one of our friends, Peggy, and, and we were discussing this over lunch, that one of the reasons scab has taken such a toll, it's not something that dec or whatever millennia ago, maybe even a hundred years ago, was even a problem. But it is now because of monoculture, because it's been allowed to thrive and get stronger in the presence of the fact that we're just planting more historically acres and acres, acres and, acres and acres of, acres one, tree, of yeah. one tree. And, you know, as in any monoculture of any crop, it's just a bad idea because all you do is raise a bigger, meaner strain of whatever virus or bacteria or pest wants to attack that plant. So here we are in 2013 dealing with the, the reality that if you can't resist scab, you don't need to be growing. It's a so tree. all four of these varieties are rated either good or excellent for their resistance to scab. Uh, pecan trees come in two pollination types. Eclipse and Gafford are called type 1. Excel and Macmillan are type 2, so we will alternate pollination types 1 and 2 as we plant. Our intention is to space them 50 feet apart. And as I calculate that, we don't have quite enough room. We don't have a 500, what is that, 550 foot um, span? Like just no, 600. We don't 600. have a 600 foot yeah. span to the, to the west and the south of Edge Hill. So our intention is to sort of do a seesaw thing with the line. So we it we don't have heavy equipment that we have to run in and out of the rows. So there's no real advantage to us of these razor uh, straight rows you see in big orchards. So we'll bend our line to keep the uh, trees 50 feet apart even while running a shorter distance with them. Does that mess up the drip irrigation? It really doesn't. Okay. All, you know, what we're talking about using among the trees themselves is a half-inch drip hose, and there's no problem bending it this okay. way. Okay, well, that's good to know. Um, and let's talk just briefly about the spacing, because we had heard and were originally planning to make them 60 feet apart, and then we noticed that some of the trees at the um, Gulf Coast Research Center were 35 feet apart. And uh, one of our friends, uh, Gary Underwood, the fellow who actually sold us the trees, uh, uses a compromise of 50-foot spacing. 
Which made sense to us because of what you said. We have the limited space in the area where we want to plant them. So we certainly wanted to space them as closely as is healthy. Um, obviously, when they're tiny little saplings out there, you know, people are going to look at that Plenty and go, of space. why are you spacing them that far apart? But, you know, if you know anything about pecan trees, if you're lucky and they live, then they're going to get to be big old guys. So we And we figured that's a problem room. Smith's children will just have to struggle right. with. <laughs> our grandchild uh, and our great-grandchildren may have the trees be too close together, uh, but we figure by then they will have figured out how they want to handle it, so we're not going to worry about that. Wallace's children, too, don't forget. <laughs> Smith's and Wallace's children, that's right. Well, uh, Bill Goff, who is the acknowledged pecan guru in Alabama these days. He's the one I was talking about a minute ago. Who says that there are three uh, factors that are the most important in governing nut quality in Alabama. And he says the first is water in the first two weeks of September. The second is more water in the first two weeks of September. And the third is you got to make sure they have enough water in the first two weeks of September. <laughs> um, he was trying to be funny, of course, and we're trying to be cute in quoting him. But the fact is, that is the single way to destroy the effectiveness of a pecan crop is to cheat it of water during those crucial first two weeks of September. We use the first two weeks of September because that's when the nuts are filling out. And of course, as the climate changes, first two weeks of September might become other weeks. But th the idea is when the nuts are filling out within the shell, that's when they are so thirsty. And if you don't have enough water then, it doesn't really matter how much water you've had other weeks of the That's year. right. He made the point about even like with all the rain we've had this past summer, if you don't make sure those pecan trees have the water at the, that crucial stage, it really doesn't matter. And Kathy Brown, who is here at E.V. Uh, Smith here in Tallahassee. But she was and, at the workshop the other day. And she right? was at the workshop the, the other day. She had said, you almost cannot overwater during August and September. Um, so yeah. uh, that's our plan, and that's why it's so crucial to us to get started early with the drip irrigation we will drip at all times for these pecans they'll get water all season long but during august and september they will get uh, a great deal of water and during the first two weeks of september we will just about water them constantly and, and speaking of that of water uh we found out from gary when we purchased the trees that while they're, they're still in the containers right now and until we plant them He's been watering them two and three times a day. Yeah, and so we will continue doing that while they're in the pot. Now, we've told you those are the, the, the three most important factors. There are some other things that go into this, so let's get into that. Uh, clearly, scab resistance plays a big part. That's we've already talked about right. that. If you're in a, a high-input orchard, as they term it, the, the terminology these guys use is low-input, meaning organic, very little spraying, so forth, and high input, meaning let her rip, spray whatever you need to spray, whenever you need spraying to spray. Spraying overhead, spraying, you know, I mean, it was amazing to me to yeah. hear how many different ways and 
and angles putting stuff in your irrigation lines yeah, and yeah. Uh, it's it's quite um, striking to hear them describe all the ways they poison their trees. Well, that's, that's over. We do not want to use that term because, as we were talking about the other day, someone who's trying to make a profit, and we're going to get to that in a minute. How do you make a profit? Someone who's in this for the money has got to be able to raise a certain type of pecan tree. I mean, pecan, you know, has got to be able to produce a certain type of pecan, and many of those have to be in a high input orchard. Therefore, they got to spray to make ends meet, and there you go. we understand that. Another factor that we have not yet described is weed control. Uh, Dr. Goff uh, quoted several studies establishing without without question that uh, weed control, particularly during the early life of a pecan tree, is just absolutely essential to its vitality. The weeds would just outcompete the poor little tree. And we saw several ways to control weeds. They showed us... In an organic us, manner, organically. And, and as well yeah. as with Roundup. Oh, yeah. Uh, when In a high-input orchard, the way they control weeds is Roundup. That's glyphosate. Uh, because they, they know that the Roundup has the effect of killing the roots of the weed and... And it has a more persistent effect. So, and, and I should say at that point that Dr. Goff pointed out that if you want to be partially organic, like, you know, halfway there, you could use Roundup to control the weeds and just not spray your trees with any kind of herbicide or, you know, anything like that. And or, you know, anything to control the um, pests. And then... You still, that should not affect the quality of your nuts. Well, and he actually went one step farther and he said, you could spray whatever you wanted to spray during the first five or six years of the life of the tree. Yeah. Because in order to be certified as organic, all you have to show is that you've not used any of these chemicals during the last three years. And if you're not planning to have a harvestable crop until the ninth or tenth year, you can go ahead and spray whatever you want to during the. So obviously that's not our plan. We will continue to maintain our nuts uh, in an organic manner from the very beginning. Um, another factor affecting the health of pecan trees is fertility. Uh, we have not had a habit of using any fertilizer. Uh, but this may be one area where we could be talked into using some fertilizer. Because he talked about zinc, um, potassium, and phosphorus being critical for pecan trees. And, of course, nitrogen. Well, nitrogen goes without the... saying. But I hadn't thought about the, the others in quite that fashion. So, you know, we're not sure right now our intention is to use compost, but it's entirely possible that we will decide to use fertilizer. And, and one thing, before we leave that, that um, list of important factors, uh, we didn't talk too much about what some of the organic methods are for controlling weeds around the small trees. He talked about um, <clears throat> using vinegar and pine bark mulch, um, flaming, wasn't that what they called it? Yes. Flaming with a, you have to have a special torch. It's a propane burner. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we learned... We didn't think about this before, but our friend, uh, we met a guy named Max there who was a pecan grower in Mississippi. He 
suggested just putting some weed mat around the bottom of the tree. And we already own geotextile fabric that we purchased to deal with the creek. So it's just sitting down the hill in a roll ready to be yeah. used. And uh, that's very appealing to us because it doesn't involve spending any money. It's something we're already set up to do. It's organic. The main thing is whatever weed mat you use, it does need to be water permeable, obviously. Yeah, water and air. And permeable. air, of course, yes. So that right now, our intention is to use that geotextile fabric um, in a three to five foot circle around the young pecan trees and do that as our way of keeping the weeds under control. Well, um, we've told you about what we're planning to do, but that presents some challenges. And you had described, I think you prepared a list of some of the pests and so forth you have to worry about if you're um, committed to organic pecan growing. Yes. In addition to scab, there are shuckworms, mites, pecan weevils, leaf scorch, and of course, our old friend, the stink bug. And the way you deal with those kind of problems in a high input orchard is you spray. And these guys, they're having to spray almost once a week sometimes. So it can really get rather expensive. So that's one of many reasons we're awfully glad we don't have to produce commercially. And you might be wondering, why would anybody choose to plant a, a cultivar of a pecan tree that isn't as highly scab resistant or that tends to have, um, I know we got a list at the um, tour and it was actually similar to a list that we had gotten at another pecan workshop about for each cultivar, certain susceptibilities, like some are more, oh, black aphids, that was another one that they that tend to plague pecan trees. Um, <clears throat> but And some of these are, are more susceptible to those kinds of things than others. So why would you choose to plant them? Well, we figured out one of the reasons is that the... Um, there's, their market is primarily China right now, and the Chinese have a particular use for the pecans. They are a huge, huge product in China for um, the Chinese New Year, and they sell these nice, big pecan halves with various flavors of candy coating in a small plastic bag. And that's just a huge product there, and the Chinese cannot get enough of those large pecan halves. That's right, and that's that's part of it. We learned that the, uh, you you mentioned the uh, types of pecan trees we're planting. Well, there are plenty of other cultivars that would produce a much larger nut and maybe even nicer fruit, but those are the ones that the Chinese want because they the, the larger nut is a premium. However, many of those don't have the bred-in resistance to scab, black aphids, etc. And the way mm. they deal with it is to spray. So yeah. uh, that's sort of the come say, come saw mm. of pecan growing. And mm. here's the real kicker. We're going to plant the fall of 2013. We won't really see an appreciable pecan crop. For 10 years to the mid-20s. And during that time, things change constantly. 
So by the time our pecan trees are producing well, they may have developed a susceptibility to scab or other problems because the organisms are constantly evolving. That's that's right. There, there are no guarantees. <clears throat> All we can do is uh, plant, make our decision based on the knowledge available right now. Uh, there's a type of cultivar called desirable, oh which my. apparently was once highly desirable, but it's just a scab magnet. <laughs> and it has developed a severe susceptibility to scab now. And people with desirable pecan trees are often just cutting them down. But there was a time that it was not um, It was the go-to problem. variety. It was the one that everyone wanted. So, as you said, these things can change. Or it might not even be 20 years from now. It could be 50 years from now that the trees become susceptible to these things. But again, as you pointed out, that would be Smith & Wallace's problem and <laughs> I will let them plant some new trees if they need to. So we are, that's our plan. Uh, we are clearing now. Uh, you probably remember we started that clearing process several weeks ago and it has continued and will continue. We have our work cut out for us because we've got a lot of ground to cover between now and the time we need to plant. And basically the trees are ready to be planted today. We could plant them today if we had the ground ready for them. But, we, but because you do have to have so much lead time, we're not getting any younger. We want to go ahead and just push ourselves and make this happen this fall so that we can start the process of enjoying those pecan trees. Don't want to overpromise, but next week we hope to have a guest here on the podcast. Our hope is that we will offer you a chance to visit with Jim Davis, who is an organic beekeeper. That's something that's real exciting to Amanda and me, both the possibility of learning more about beekeeping and also the possibility of having guests here on the podcast is intriguing to us. So look forward to your visiting with us next week when we do that. You have a great week. Take care. You've been listening to Longleaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden. You can call the farm at 334-625-8682. Send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com. Our address is P.O. Box 780-446, Tallahassee, Alabama, 36078. Visit us at longleafbreeze.com to learn more about the farm, to browse our archive, and to look over our planting database. You can also read the daily farm log and check in with Lee and Amanda. That's longleafbreeze.com.